0: back door, yeah. maybe fall off, yeah. sipping codeine cause I gotta kill a cop, yeah. let me see sideways in the big bins,
1: oh you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. Yeah. <laughs> now it's time to go to work.
0: There's not one guy in the history of this program that's bigger than the program <laughs> <laughs> There's a place. Listening to Brandon Drum. Look, I think the program is moving in a great direction. And Parker Thune. Venables knows what he's doing. This is the OU Insider Under the Visor Podcast. <laughs>
1: Welcome, welcome to another OU Insider under the Visor Sooners podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune, and it is Nebraska, Oklahoma week, a week that fans my age, Parker's age, understand the gravitas of this week uh, in the his- history of both programs. Uh, but people my kids' age, they're like, what, what the hell is this, man? Like, they don't, they, they don't understand what this means to so many people in the state of Oklahoma and Nebraska. Right? And it's so cool to have it back for one last shot, uh, at least this year, hoping hoping that this is the the rivalry, the game that they put back in for the Tennessee matchup that they're relinquishing for the sec that would be pretty cool but uh yeah this is this is it going to nebraska this would be my first trip to nebraska bro like to actually go to lincoln and watch a game and i'm so excited the bucket list check off i'm i'm hyped so uh and with everything that's gone around it we're gonna talk about that we're gonna talk about mickey joseph we're gonna talk about we're gonna first we're gonna talk about k-state We're going to talk about Mickey Joseph, Nebraska, uh, or K-State, Kent State. Uh, Mickey Joseph, Nebraska. We're going to get into some recruiting. We're going to get him some predictions, uh, players of the game, defensive player of the games, and then we're going to close the podcast out. It's going to be a quicker one than normal, folks, but we're going to get into a lot of content before we get this thing over with. So, Parker, man. After last night, and we won't get into that, but, uh, <laughs> but, and, and it was quite I'm an not,
0: ordeal as anybody who watched the YouTube live stream knows. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, we had an ordeal on the YouTube live and then we had an ordeal off the YouTube live. So, uh,
0: it was, it a was night an of ordeals.
1: it was a night of ordeals. So, uh, yeah, but here we are, we're podcasting before, uh, Parker goes on the radio today. So. Kent State, man, 33-3, to Oklahoma won after just a putrid first half of football. I mean, quickly, we'll go through uh, that game, kind of recap it. If you had to give a positive take and a negative take, what would those two things be?
0: Well, (laughs) negative take is the first half. The positive take is the second half, right? I mean, you started really slow, and that's the thing. It's it's one of those things that we talked about the post-game podcast, talked about on the YouTube live stream. That's not the type of slow start that you're going to be able to afford down the line. That is the kind of thing that you can get away with against Kent State, and that's probably about it. Maybe a team like Kansas, but you're not going to be able to make a habit of that. The positive right. side and the silver lining and all that is that once that offense started clicking, it really started clicking and it started moving the ball effectively and consistently. And for me looking ahead to the future and what this Oklahoma offense has the opportunity to do in 2022, it's all going to come down to adjustments and it's all going to come down to how Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel are able to adapt their game plan and the tempo of their offense and their flow to be able to suit the situation, suit the circumstance. Jeff Levy said after that game concluded, he said on his Monday press conference, look, after watching the film, he said, I was not quick enough to abandon the run and let Dylan Gabriel air the ball out. I tried to establish the one, the run for way too long. I should have just trusted my quarterback. Now, You look ahead to this weekend's game against Nebraska, by stark contrast, this is a game that Oklahoma should be able to run the ball quite effectively in because Nebraska is among the worst in not just the Power Five, but all of college football when it comes to defending the run. They're surrendering north of 200 rushing yards per game through three contests, and that includes games against Northwestern, North Dakota, and Georgia Southern. By no means Mm -hmm. teams that should be establishing the run against a power five program like Nebraska. So uh, I'll be curious to see how the game plan this Saturday differs from what it was last Saturday. And especially uh, the way that Lebby and Gabriel react when inevitably uh, they face the vigor of the 90,000-plus Husker faithful at Memorial Stadium, how much that impacts their opening script and whether it has any disruptive effect in the early stages. Because, again, if you get off track in the early stages, you're going to have to adjust. The Sooners didn't do that quick enough last week. Fortunately, they were playing Kent State, and a hot second half was good enough to secure a victory. It's probably not going to be the case going forward. You're not going to be able to open a game with 20 straight, 29 straight minutes of scoreless football.
1: Yeah. Okay. So to your point on that, it almost looked like Oklahoma was just stubborn last week. Like they were going to continue to do what they game plan to do. They weren't going to make an adjustment to the offensive line, at least blocking wise until, they got in at halftime and they were they were content with that. It's almost like they wanted it and it seemed like Venables when he came out post game presser, he said, Yeah, I wanted them to go through strain. So it's almost like they forced them to do it and just said, Nope, we're gonna keep making the offense strain to run the game, run the ball, even though they knew that if they just made this minor tweak here or there, things would bust open. And Lebby and Venables admitted it. They were like, yeah, all we had to do was tweak this this little thing here, this little thing there, and bam, a four-yard run, the exact same play that Eric Gray had on a four-yard run on multiple occasions in the first half, by the way, because Oklahoma has yet to open up their playbook, mind you. It's been as far as just a snoozer as far as what they've done offensively there's been not a lot of flash the formations have been very vanilla the play calling has been very vanilla and it's been on purpose but they admitted it they said yeah we could have adjusted a little earlier but we wanted to see how they were going to react it's almost like uh, not almost it's it's his vent Venable's and levy and that step they knew they were going to win that game It just was a matter of how long were they going to allow their team to – and it was the end of the second quarter. They are like, screw it. We're going to open it up a little bit. Boom, 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 touchdown. And after that point, they couldn't be stopped. Uh, The only thing that literally stopped them was penalties, a false start. They score another touchdown or two if they hadn't false started on a couple drives in the second half, and I think that – that probably irks Brent Venables more than not adjusting earlier to the offensive line blocking schematically. So, uh, cause he's just such a, he's just so anal about every little thing that they do and being disciplined. Like that's like his number one thing is being disciplined, be disciplined, be disciplined. And, and you know, that's just got to irk him those, those mental mistakes. So, I think you're right. I think that is probably the worst thing about the whole day. I think the positive part about it was how they reacted, how they reacted to that strain. They didn't, they didn't fret at all, and I think that's going to roll over to this week. To your point about the crowd and stuff like that, I think we're going to get to see that even though this team has some inexperienced. I think they're going to realize that everything that they went through in fall camp and what Brent Venables and that staff put them through was purposeful, was meaningful. was so they didn't fret in moments like Saturday or this coming Saturday when 90,000 screaming red Cornhusker fans are beaming down on top of them and they can make that adjustment and be able to... Keep playing with level headedness and not get too high, not get too low, and continue to fight through because there's gonna be some adversity. Casey Thompson's on the other end, he's a decent quarterback, right? <laughs> Pretty good quarterback. There I think I think the one thing for Oklahoma with Nebraska, as we flip over to that game, because we've I think we've talked about this Kent State game enough, is Can, and I think it's the most interesting matchup of the game. Everybody's worried about Oklahoma's offensive line. If they can't dominate that defensive line in Nebraska, that's just been abused by everybody else. We will know there is a major issue at that
0: point. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And we kind of touched on that last night in the YouTube live stream, right? Which is Nebraska defensively has struggled man, they have struggled mightily, particularly against the run. And a lot of folks have questions. A lot of folks have apprehensions about the play of the Oklahoma offensive line. So this weekend, it really is a proving ground for that group in Lincoln because if they can manhandle the Huskers up front, okay, that's all well and good. And some of those concerns are alleviated heading into conference play. But if they struggle to establish the run, if they struggle to get a push up front, then we're going to have to start having some hard conversations about the state of Oklahoma's offensive line. You'd think that the re of Wanya Morris will help, but there's a lot that we don't know about this Oklahoma football team as a whole, and no position group, I think, better exemplifies that mystique than the offensive line right now.
1: Hmm. No, the, the offensive line needs to be able to bury the Nebraska, excuse me, the Nebraska um, defensive line. Very, I, I, they got to, and it's got to start early. It has to start early because if it doesn't, <laughs> you're going to let that crowd get into it. And then it's not what you want. You do not want those, that crowd to just keep building momentum, keep building momentum, keep building momentum. Cause every time, That Cornhuskers defense, if Oklahoma hasn't gone up 7-0, 14-7 or something to that extent, to where there's some sort of stranglehold on the game for Oklahoma, they're going to allow 90,000 screaming Nebraska fans to keep building that momentum. And Nebraska's going to feed off of it. We saw what a, a crowd can do last Saturday. The second Oklahoma's crowd got into that ball game with the light flashing and all that type of stuff. It was just like a, a, an avalanche on top of the golden flashes. And they could do nothing about it. They could do nothing offensively. They could do nothing defensively. They, both hands, both legs were tied up, and they were just watching Oklahoma do whatever they wanted at that point. And that, that can happen Saturday. Nebraska's talented enough to do that and I think that's something people need to grasp their head around, is they're one and two. But they just lost their head coach, hired the coach that everybody wanted to be the interim, a former Nebraska guy, a guy that's beloved by all the kids, by all the players, by all the recruits, by all the fans. They're going to come out screaming on Saturday. That place is going to be hopping. Hopping. You would think for an eleven a.m. kickoff, they're not going to have enough time to get all lubricated up and ready to run. I'm rock. sorry, what? Lubricated alcohol. That's what they call it. Like older bin. That's sorry. That's probably a younger. That's probably an older term. Excuse me. <laughs>
0: I, I I would think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's an older term. Yeah. So yeah. Um and I'm not talking about what <laughs> Parker was thinking that. <laughs> now if Oklahoma goes good now, I got a joke for that. If Oklahoma goes and does what they need oh, to no. do, oh they no, they won't need we the lubrication. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, let us know in the comments section. What did you think when you heard Brandon say lubricated up? Because I'm going to venture a guess that most people listening were on the same page that I was on. Fair enough. Oh, gosh.
1: But I stand by my point. If Oklahoma goes and does what everybody thinks they, they should do, lubrication not need applied. So (laughs) anyways, um, but yeah, I, I I just, I just think that if I'm Oklahoma, I get, I, I take the ball first and I try to go down and just boom, completely shut them down and completely start that game seven, nothing and get the ball rolling offensively. Because you know Nebraska's offense is really good, but I, w- I go go read know your foe on because I'm doing the same thing with Brian Christensen on our board, and, and I'm, I'm probably going to put his answers up to the five questions on Friday on our OU Insider VIP. But he's already put it up mine up. I gave this long detailed answer on everything. And literally one of the first comments is is yeah, but Oklahoma has only played like they they discredited Oklahoma's defense. They haven't played anybody. Kent State's nobody. UTEP's nobody. And I was just like, I went there and commented. I was like, you know, well, some some programs don't even stop G five programs. Defenses don't even stop G five programs. <laughs> so I don't said it very eloquently. I said it eloquently, and I said like Oklahoma last year, but I think you know exactly what I was getting at. Uh, Like, how can you point a finger at Oklahoma being the number one scoring defense, the, the number one tackles for loss, the number three sack defense in the country, and sit there and say, well, it's because of who they played. Okay, well, then why didn't Nebraska do it against Georgia Southern? Because Kent State's a better football program than Georgia Southern notoriously. Like Kent state has been playing for the Mac title the last few years and they will play for it again this year. They're like, well, Kent state's defense is awful. Their offense isn't any good dude. They're playing Washington last week, Oklahoma. They have a cupcake and then they've got Georgia. You play three of the better P five programs in the country three out of the first four weeks, and you tell me how your offense and defense is going to handle it. Probably not very well. You're going to get the crap beat out of you. You're taking some money. We'll take that $1.5 million, $200 million payout and just take a beating. And that's what the Kent State's done. But they're going to be better for it when they go up against their own level of competition, right? Because it's going to seem so much easier in conference. It's actually really smart, so I, I I guess my point is is Nebraska fans are underestimating Oklahoma at this point. Like they think that this thing is Oklahoma' super beatable, which they might be they might be, and they think that Oklahoma is not going to be able to just come in and do what they want, which they may not be able to. Nebraska's defense man. they expect Nebraska's defense to play the best defense that they played all year and completely stop Oklahoma.
0: And and here's what I'll say. Half of that is an understandable expectation, right? You would expect that things would get better for Nebraska this week. Post Scott Frost, just because morale is going to be higher. Of course you have a, you have a high morale guy leading the charge now in Mickey Joseph. Scott Frost was so checked out. He was so checked out, and it was visible. It was conspicuous. It was palpable. So I would expect that Nebraska is going to play better than they did a week ago, but to completely power down the Oklahoma offense, that takes some doing. And you're not talking about, you're not talking about Georgia Southern with Dylan oh, Gabriel and this Oklahoma offensive attack. This is an offense with a way deeper and more dangerous core of weapons than the Sooners saw last week against Georgia Southern when that team put up more total yards on them than any team ever has in Memorial Stadium. That's wild when you think about the long and distinguished history of Nebraska football, the fact that the team that has now put up more yards in their building than anybody else, the 2022 Georgia Southern Eagles, that's wild. But, again, that's indicative of where Nebraska is defensively right now. They have a long way to go. A long way to go. And I think I think morale will be higher, as I mentioned. Is that good enough to keep Nebraska in the game against this up-tempo Oklahoma offense? That is to be determined. I consider it unlikely. And if it is to happen, it has to start with early momentum. Yep. You have to seize an early lead. You have to slow the game down as they did last year in Norman. And you got to maintain, you got to hold serve. When you get possessions, you got to make the most of them. And if they end in a punt, got to milk some time off the clock before you kick it away. When you're on defense, uh, I was, I was doing around our nation with Brian Christofferson, uh, our counterpart at Husker 24 seven. And he said something that I thought was an excellent point. In a game like this, you're going to have to win the turnover battle. You're going to have to be smart, and you're going to have to be safe with the football on offense, and you're going to have to step in front of a pass or punch out a fumble on the defense. And that's side.
1: something Oklahoma has been really good at so far this year. But for Nebraska, Nebraska not.
0: Yeah, and for Nebraska as the underdog, that carries all the more importance. Right. Because Oklahoma doesn't necessarily have to win the turnover battle. They're talented enough that they can lose it and still come out on the winning end. For Nebraska, you got to you got to do all the little things right. And you got to win all those smaller battles within the larger one. And the turnover battle is one of those that's going to make a big difference in this game on Saturday
1: and when you bring that up man and that's why i said oklahoma needs to take the ball first and just i think if they go in and they go up 7 nothing real quick with like a minute and a half two minute drive that'll suck the win right out of memorial stadium right out of it so quickly but on the flip side i also think that if oklahoma goes and just shuts down casey thompson's offense Right off the bat, because we all know he he's he's capable of being a nuisance for Oklahoma because he's that good of a quarterback. Everybody wants to downgrade what what Casey Thompson's done in his career, and, and let so let's 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 look at his stats real quick for those that don't think he was worth much at Texas and or worth much. At all as a quarterback, and I, I would I would highly disagree with that. Um, in a part-time role last year, meaning he was hurt the majority of last year, he hurt his thumb, he broke his thumb, mind you, and played against Oklahoma with a broken thumb the whole second half and still put up ridiculous numbers. He played... The majority, he, he hurt his shoulder last year and he hurt his thumb. And he still threw for over 2,000 yards on 260 attempts. That means he didn't, 260 attempts is not very many passing attempts in the season. That shows you that he, he had split time with Hudson Carr. He didn't even come in, what was it, game two or three when he finally took over as the full time starter. So he was short three games to start the season. Then he gets banged up. But he threw for 24 touchdowns, a passing rating of 154.7, which is pretty decent passer rating, by the way. This year, and he only had nine interceptions to go with that, by the way. So he wasn't like turning the ball over profusely. This year, as a full-time starter, he's already thrown a third a third of what he threw for last in attempts than he did last year already for Nebraska. That shows you what being a full-time starter does. Like he actually is getting to be the dude and not having to split time with Hudson card or anybody like that. Like he's the guy and he already has almost 900 yards. He has four He has three interceptions this year. So I think that's kind of the key. It's can Oklahoma disguise enough litzes and make him force him to make mistakes? Because they're gonna have to. If they don't, because of how savvy of a player he is, he will eat them alive. And we've seen it. We've seen him do it. We witnessed it last year. <laughs> we in the cotton bowl. That dude just ate Oklahoma's lunch. Luckily for Oklahoma, number thirteen came in. And led the charge back. And had that not happened, Texas is just beating the living dog crap out of Oklahoma at that point. And, and does that does their season change because of that? I think probably so, because I think that that game more than anything demoralized them last year. I think Alabama has a chance of doing that, but that's neither here nor there this year because of all the chances they had, and it just kept they just kept falling short, just like they did with Oklahoma last year. That's demoralizing. When you've been losing, and you continue to lose, and you get so close, it's demoralizing. Nebraska, Parker, is a prime example of that. So that's why you have to stop, stomp on them murder, like you said, because of how close they've been. It becomes, here we go again, when you start to get ahead and start to make things hard on them, right? Like, okay, here we go again. Because that's what Nebraska. has been happening in Nebraska. Yeah, they lost a lot of close games, but they still lost. And so when you start to get down against a superior opponent, where does where does Nebraska's mindset go? It, does Mickey Joseph have enough time in Week One to change the whole trajectory of Nebraska's
0: mental makeup? That's a lot easier said than done. Because it is, yeah. One of the things that I don't know if we've talked about yet, but that warrants a mention is, and I think we've made reference the statistic, right? The bizarre statistic that all of Nebraska's last thirteen losses have been by single digits. Mm-hmm. But when that keeps happening, the
1: more when you lose
0: a close game over and over and over again. And you know, I, I'm sorry, but when you know deep down, and you have it implanted in the back of your head that when you get in a situation where the game's tight in the fourth quarter, and you know that you're going to come out on the losing end because it's happened so many times before, that's the mark of a losing culture, man. And that's what Nebraska mm-hmm. has right now. And it's reversible. It's, it's not something that I believe is going to be chronic for the Huskers, but. They need to address that, and they need to reverse that. They need to ch- turn the tide, and that's not done overnight because you have to you have to go win a tight game. You have to go win a game that maybe you shouldn't win for those guys on the sideline to start believing again. Mm-hmm. And you have to demonstrate that, hey, we can get to these same late-game situations that we were in in years past, but this time we can go get the job done. And we can finish where we didn't finish before. That's what's got to happen for Nebraska. And I think that's more of a gradual process. If you want to reverse a losing culture, it's not going to happen in one game. And it's not going to happen with the firing of one coach. It's going to have to be something that you are intentional about cultivating within your locker room. And it starts up top of the leadership I really like Mickey Joseph as a coach. I think he should garner serious consideration for the permanent gig if this Husker team picks it up the second half of the season. But I don't think – like, my expectation is not that suddenly, now that Frost is out the door, everything's going to be 10 times better than it was before because you can play better football, you can play really good football times. We saw really good football times from Nebraska last year. That doesn't always mean you're going to win football games. And As long as you have that stigma associated with your program, and as long as you as a player especially have been in so many of those situations before and you just haven't seen your team come out on the victorious side, it's going to be tough. It'll continue to be tough. And so yeah. it's about resilience for Nebraska. I don't think it's about winning the football game this Saturday. I think it's about demonstrating resilience, demonstrating that you can play with a team that's more talented than you, and how do you parlay the steps that you can take this Saturday into a successful run in the month of October because you look at their schedule that month, it's pretty easy. Offhand, I think you got Indiana, Minnesota, Illinois, Rutgers. You could win all four of those games. You could. So, what kind of tangible steps towards winning and playing well in the second half, closing the deal, what kind of steps to that end can you take this weekend against Oklahoma? Maybe you don't win. Maybe you don't topple the Sooners. I think most would expect that Oklahoma's going to win this game on the road. But Nebraska made big steps last year against the Sooners in Norman. They did. That was maybe their best performance of the year. It just didn't carry over. And I think that has to do a lot with what we talked about, coaching and leadership. Can you make those same strides this weekend and not only make them, but sustain them? Can you carry this momentum over throughout the rest of your season?
1: So last year, glad you brought that up last year. They kept the ball, and they kept it, and they kept it, and they kept it. I, I can't remember what the total time of possession difference was, but I, I if I remember correctly, it was pretty, <clears throat> pretty substantial in Nebraska's favor. Is there any way they can replicate that this year, you think, against a Brent Venables defense? Or do you think Brent Venables defense, with what they've done and been so vanilla – and yet still been dominant. it just just because, and hear me out on this, I feel and this isn't a slight to anybody, just so I hope nobody takes it. I hope no former coach takes this as a slight or anything, that the jump that a lot of these players have taken, particularly on the defensive line, front seven, have been substantial, and I I would go as far as to say, at the safety and cornerback position as well, because they played so well to start the season. And yes, again, Kent State, UTEP, I get it. But as somebody that's been covering Oklahoma and following it for years, that has meant jack crap. Who the po- opponent was over the over the past decade, it hasn't mattered. They've still been able to do what they wanted to do and score against that Oklahoma defense. Has not been happening this year. As a matter of fact, this Oklahoma defense in front seven has been stifling against the run. Just stifling. Now, of course, the quarterback run game has been a problem, and that's always been kind of a, the thorn in Brent Venables' defense side because of how aggressive he gets. And it it leaves you open. But if that's all you have to worry about is a quarterback running around and every now and then getting a first down, I think you're going to be all right. So my question is, can Nebraska ball control the way they're going to need to ball control this year like they did last year? Because I feel like this is a better team, Nebraska team, just because of, the quarterback play alone.
0: I don't think that's an inaccurate opinion. And I think that has the most to do with the fact that I think Casey Thompson is a better fit for Mark Whipple's system and what they Mm -hmm. try to do offensively than Adrian Martinez ever was for what Scott Frost wanted to do. Adrian Martinez always seemed very out of place at Nebraska. And it's part of what makes me excited to see what he can do this year at Kansas State Because I think he's got a very high ceiling so far.
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah. he has looked good. And that Kansas State team has the potential to be really, really good. Uh, Likely
1: come in top 25 if they can do what they um, need to do this weekend.
0: That's kind of the the wild card for me is Nebraska's offense. Uh, What can they do in this football game to establish a rhythm and get Oklahoma on their heels defensively? Can they accomplish that? Because if they can, then you could be in for a little bit of a firefight. Nebraska has shown they, – they they've demonstrated the ability to move the ball and to put up points the first three games. But, of course, the natural question becomes, do they actually have that capacity or is it simply a byproduct of playing defenses in Northwestern, North Dakota, Georgia, Southern that are by no means top of the line? We're going to find out on Saturday. As much as we don't know about Oklahoma as a team and especially as an offense – We don't know a whole lot about Nebraska's new look offense either under Whipple. We don't know how Mm -hmm. much credence you can give to their performance over the first three weeks. So that's why it's all the more crucial, and I'll keep coming back to it, because it bears repeating. Oklahoma's got to punch them in the mouth early. And that is another thing that kind of ties back to the conversation that we were having earlier about how Nebraska's had 13 straight single-digit losses. They haven't faced a steep deficit in two years, three years. I
1: think Oklahoma was the biggest deficit at one point that they've been in. Uh, yeah, they were down by
0: two touchdowns. From, they the were down by time, two yeah. touchdowns in that football game. So as it happened how can you break that team's will if you get up by a couple scores? That's what I'm curious about because that's not a situation that many of these guys have faced at Nebraska. Can you break their will by jumping out, getting a couple quick scores, and establishing dominance in the early stages of the football game? The The pace, the flow, the general feel of this game is going to be very clear by the end of the first quarter. I think we will know by the end of the first quarter whether Oklahoma is going to be sweating it out for the final 45 minutes or if it's going to be a walk in the park for mm-hmm. the Sooners against this downtrodden Husker team. So first 15 minutes should be very, very telling. First couple drives offensively for Oklahoma in particular. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: All right. On that, on that note, who are going to be, who do you predict? Last week, I predicted Danny Stutzman and Marvin Mims had big days. And I even predict guy freaking got close to Danny Stutzman's stat line when I predicted it in my little write-up. Uh, so who Who do you see as the Sooners' offensive player of the game and defensive player of the game? And what's your final score prediction before we move on to recruiting and close out the podcast?
0: I will say my offensive MVP, I'll say it's Eric Gray. I think Mm -hmm. Eric Gray has a big day. I think the Sooners, in general, on the ground, have a big day. But I think it's it's clear that Eric Gray is the best Oklahoma has out of that backfield. I expect you'll see some Marcus Major and maybe some Javante Barnes as well. But it should be the Eric Gray show early on this Saturday. And I expect him to break the 100-yard barrier for the second time this season. Defensively, that's a good, good question. I I kind of want to go off the beaten path because that's – That's generally what I like to do with these kinds of things, but it's almost hard not to say Danny Stutzman just because of the way he's played through the first two weeks and because I would figure that Nebraska is going to try to establish the run themselves. They've got a pretty decent run game with Anthony Grant in the backfield. Yeah, and good player. um, I think Stutzman is going to be critical uh, from the center of that defense in terms of uh, establishing... Uh, or I'm rather being able to shut down the run, and being able to fit those holes, uh, and close the gaps, and make sure that Anthony Grant has nowhere to go but sideways. And
1: he's he's had a hell of a start to the season: 428 yards, five touchdowns
0: already. Exactly. So it's it's on the Oklahoma, or yeah, it's on the Oklahoma front seven uh, to be able to cur- curtail Anthony Grant's early impact in this game because. <clears throat> If you let Nebraska establish the run, that really is going to open things up for Casey Thompson in the passing game. Mm-hmm. So you got to shut down the run game early if you're OU. And I think that starts with the play of the front seven, the best player on that front seven right now is Danny Stutzman. So he's got to come up big. I trust that he will final score prediction. I'll say Oklahoma wins this game. I I'll recycle the same score that I used on the YouTube live stream last night. 38 to 21 is my prediction. I don't know that it necessarily feels like a blowout, but I also don't think it ever feels close in a sense. I think although you won't see Oklahoma pull away, you will always feel that the game is in hand throughout.
1: Okay. Uh, For me, I'm going to go Marcus Major. There's something – I just have a funny feeling – That he's going to end up toting the load for Oklahoma at some point this season. And I'm going to go with the Nebraska game being the beginning of that. It's not that I don't think Eric Gray's not a great running back. Like, I think he's really good. I just think that there's something about when Marcus Major touches the ball, there's an excitement. Like, everything he does is explosive. And you feel like, I just, with him and Javante Barnes, you feel like there's a chance that he could break it. They could break it every time. Like every time they touch the ball. So and I think with the toughness that Marcus Major runs with, the 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 anger he runs with, I think is gonna be big in this game. How quickly he hits the holes, how how a how, how well he breaks tackles is gonna be big. So I'm gonna go with Marcus Major as my I think I think both he and Eric Gray are near the one hundred yard mark by the end of the game if not over, I think you could have two 100-yard rushers this game, honestly. I mean, it's not the first nor last time that we will see Oklahoma do that in recent history, and I think this is one of those games that this is this happens. Uh, as far as defense goes, I mean, I, I Danny Stutzman is who I normally pick uh, since Parker took that one. I'm going to go Reggie Grimes. I think Reggie Grimes gets a sack or two again. Uh, I wanted to go Billy Bowman just because they're going to throw the ball around, and I have a feeling he's going to make some plays. But I'm going to go Reggie Grimes. I think he, I think he's a game-changer on the edge. And here comes my dog in the background, folks. Um, I think he is a game-changer on the edge. And he is able to... He is able to do things that a lot of people can't do. So, um, yeah, he's he's had a remarkable start to the season. Four sacks already, five tackles for losses. And I think he has a sack and a half to on Saturday. And to get him to five and a half sacks in three games, I think he is pushing for All-American status at this point. I mean, he's he's on. He's having he's having a well of a season already, and I think he's going to continue to do so. I think this is what Brent Venables and Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis were brought in to do was to change the trajectory of some of these top 50 players that Oklahoma got in the recruiting, and allow them to live up to their ability, and that's what's happening now. So, um, yeah, I'll go with Reggie Grimes as far as the score goes. Thirty-seven, seventeen. A lot like you, Parker, I think this thing is going to fill in hand a lot of the game. I think the first quarter, quarter and a half, it's going to be a ball game to where you feel like it could go either way. And I think the defense for Oklahoma is going to make a play that just changes everything. And that is what's going to make the momentum on Oklahoma's side, and they're not going to relinquish it at that point. And I think that's how the ballgame is going to go. At that point, you will not feel like it's anything but Oklahoma's ball game. But I think it's going to remain within a score-two ballgame until midway through the fourth quarter where Oklahoma kicks a late field goal or something to put them up three scores instead of two. Uh, so I think that's how that game goes. I still like Oklahoma. I think – I think if they walk out with a 14- to 17-point win, which is greater than what Vegas, because the Vegas odds have it, what, 11? Right now 10 or 11, depending on who you look at. I think the national media kind of perks their eyes up and goes, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And especially if Oklahoma shuts them down, a Nebraska offense that's been so prolific, I think it really wakes everybody's eyes up and goes, okay, this Oklahoma defense is actually for real. And I think that's Oklahoma's goal is to prove just how for real they are this week and next week heading into TCU in Texas. They have to, they have to, these two, these next two weeks are huge for the remainder of this season, just for momentum status alone. So, all right. Uh, moving on to recruiting. We'll start with Malachi Coleman, four-star athlete out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Because he has such a big fixture in this ball game, And our man Parker, outside of Steve Wolfong, is the only man this guy talks to. So, Parker, you take it from here. We'll go – we'll talk about Colton Bassett. We'll talk about Jordan Renard. We'll talk about David Hicks. Tassili uh, Akana as well. And Caden McDonald. But let's start with, with uh, Malachi Coleman and where Oklahoma stands with the top 100 player.
0: Yeah, so right now – Malachi Coleman has two schools that he takes seriously, Oklahoma and Nebraska. That's it. That's what this battle is. And there are a couple teams still kind of on the fringes, hoping to lure him to campus for an official visit, Oregon, Penn State, among those. He canceled an official visit to USC this weekend in order to be at the OU Nebraska game. And I don't expect that he's going to end up taking his scheduled official visit to Ole Miss at the beginning of October either. Uh, So it really is. It's OU and it's Nebraska right now. It's going to be one of those two. Um, And I think I'm curious to see how things play out in the aftermath of Scott Frost's firing because Mickey Joseph is the interim coach. Uh, But I was actually, uh, I was on the phone with Steve this morning, uh, just kind of talking through this recruitment and where things stand on the nebraska end specifically and one of the things steve mentioned one of the points he made and i thought it uh, carried a lot of merit was whenever you hire a new coach there's always new coach buzz right and Mm -hmm. there's always a positive impact that that'll have on recruiting and so when you hire a new coach regardless of who that is Is that going to be enough to keep Malachi Coleman home? Here's what I know for a fact. If Mickey Joseph isn't retained on the Nebraska staff, either as the permanent head coach or as the receivers coach, Coleman's not going to Nebraska. His interest in Nebraska is solely driven by the presence of Mickey Joseph. So if Nebraska wants to keep the kid in state, what they're going to have to do, is find a way to keep Mickey Joseph part of the calculus, whatever that looks like. Now, for Oklahoma, on their part, it seems as though right now the Sooners have the lead in this recruitment. It appears as though they've overtaken Nebraska as the top contender for Coleman's services. But what makes this interesting is they're not... (laughs) they're kind of trying to hold him off as far as the official visit plans right now. Malachi has been trying to schedule an official visit to Oklahoma for some time. Uh, The Sooners for a variety of reasons uh, have been kind of taking a wait and see approach in that regard. And so here's the best way and the most concise way that I can put it. And I talked at length about it last night on the YouTube live. If you see Malachi Coleman, take an official visit to Oklahoma, I would consider that a strong indication that he's coming to Oklahoma. If that official visit doesn't happen, I think it far more likely that he ends up staying home and going to Nebraska. So with that in mind, pay attention to what happens over the next month or so. Pay attention to whether an official visit to OU goes on the books because Malachi Coleman's relationship with Joe John Finley is very, very strong. He's a freak of an athlete, six foot five, 205 pounds, uh, so much you can do in Jeff Levy's offense with a guy that has that physical makeup and the Sooners have pushed all the right buttons and Finley most specifically over the course of this recruitment, but it's going to come down to whether Oklahoma is willing to let him take an official visit prior to that October 22nd decision date. That to me is your indicator right now. A lot probably depends on what happens this weekend. And I don't want to diminish that. Look, he's getting to watch the two top teams in his recruitment square off and that'll have an impact. It will. If Oklahoma wins handily, it'll no doubt increase his already high opinion of the Sooners. And if Nebraska hangs tough or pulls the upset, Hey, guess what? Especially since it's Mickey Joseph's first game as the interim head coach, that's going to be really, really good for the Huskers. It's going to be a really good look in that recruitment. So, A lot hinges on this weekend in my mind, but more than that, pay attention to the official visit plans because he's already taken one to Nebraska. And as I mentioned on the YouTube live last night, the kid's just not going to take official visits to schools that he's not legitimately interested in. He planned one to Michigan then canceled it because he decided I don't really want to go to Michigan. He planned one to USC canceled it because he decided I don't really want to go to USC. He was lining up one, Uh, he was lining up an official visit to Oregon and then decided, you know what? I really don't want to go to Oregon to this day. (laughs) The only official visit he's taken is to Nebraska. So that tells you how serious this guy is about his top contenders and how unserious he is about everybody else. He's doing this recruitment the right way. Uh, We're about five weeks out from a decision. And I would expect that if Oklahoma pushes for Coleman, and they make it a priority to get him on campus for an official visit within the next few weeks, he will be a sooner. If not, he'll probably stay home. And I also want to say, I don't necessarily think this is a hundred percent over one way or another when he commits on October 22nd, because let's say he commits to Nebraska. Well, what happens if in November, December, The Huskers hire their next head coach, and Mickey Joseph isn't part of the staff. He's going to be back on the market, promise you. Yeah. Well, what if he commits elsewhere on October 22nd? And down the line, uh, Nebraska strings together a few wins at the end of the campaign under Joseph, uh, gets that fan base believing again, makes a splash higher, and whoever the new head coach is retains Joseph as receivers coach. Well, December, January rolls around. The Huskers could be very much in the market for a flip from Malachi Coleman. So this will be one that's worth tracking down the stretch, not only as we get closer to that October 22nd decision date, but uh, as we draw near to national signing days in December and February, because a lot depends on what the future looks like at Nebraska. So with that in mind, pay close attention to this coaching search and the ultimate hire because it'll go a long way.
1: No doubt. Um, I don't have anything to add to the Coleman thing because I don't know much about it other than what I talked to through sources around Norman. And and essentially it's... Will he or will he not take an official visit? And I think that's going to be the main deal there. So we'll see how all that plays out. Um, The official visit also is contingent on, if I remember correctly is he going to, you know, don't take an official visit unless you're going to come in and kind of commit. So uh, we'll see how all that plays out moving forward. Parker is going to be the one that's going to know that far more than I. So uh, the other player, another player that uh, Oklahoma is close to finding out their decision is 2023, Tyler, Texas, Tyler Legacy High School defensive lineman, four-star defensive lineman, excuse me, Jordan Renaud. And last week, Friday, I was at his game when they played Longview. They lost 70, literally 70 to nothing. But I want people to understand this. Take the score out. This guy was on the sideline leading his team, and he was leading by example on the field. There wasn't a single snap that he didn't play hard, that he wasn't in the backfield making a problem. For Longview, unfortunately for Mister Renaud, he didn't have a lot of help, and it was almost like everybody folded, but Renaud, and he took notice of it. And I sit there and stood two feet from him, and he looked over at me. He actually told me, "Listen to this," because I was walking by. He said, "Come here and listen to this," and so I stopped and I listened. And he pulled everybody in and started screaming at them. And, I mean, he was passionate. He made a lot of sense of what he was saying. Like, he said, I don't lose like this. He goes, this isn't about me. This is about the team. And this is on me as the leader of this team that I let you all quit while I'm out there still playing hard. I should have said something earlier, and I didn't. But from this point on, it's done. It's done. And he it was a little bit more choice words, uh, cleaning it up a little bit. But to that point, he spent the weekend at Oklahoma following that. Uh, Alabama obviously was a leader going into that visit, the official visit for Oklahoma. And he spent that weekend hanging out with Coach Bates. And Coach Venables and Coach Chavis. And he had a talk with Coach Bates, he said, because he called me after the visit and talked to me for about 20, 25 minutes or so. And he said, You know, man, I had a lot of questions coming into this Oklahoma visit. And I told you that on Friday. I said, I wanted to know if they had the grit, the, the behind the scenes grit, the grind. The things that I needed to see and not just the flashy, the soul of a mission, the flashy NIL stuff and all this stuff. He goes, I'm about that winning culture because I don't feel like I've done enough during my high school career or feel like I've reached the potential of what I could have been during my high school career. So I'm going to come in guns blazing and make sure that I do that when I get to college. And I'm telling everybody. If you all could listen to Jordan Renard speak, he's passionate. He's going to be a great speaker when he gets older. He's going to be a great coach when he gets older. And that is something he wants to do is be a high school coach like his dad or college coach or whatever. He just wants to coach football. He said, I came with an epiphany this past weekend. That's what I want to do. And Coach Venables told me, if I come to Oklahoma, just like the other 25 guys that used to play at the University of Oklahoma who are on staff – I have a spot to help them and learn and grow starting as a GA and work my way up through the system. He goes, that meant a lot. That means they look out for their own and Venables has made that point publicly. So, and and there's proof in the pudding. You just look across the staff, 25 different X players are on staff at Oklahoma right now in some sort of capacity. And so, he was very open, very adamant. And I said, okay, well, Bama was leading before this. Where do things stand now? And he goes, well, let me finish this real quick. And I said, what's that? He goes, like I was saying, I, I don't like how my team's doing and I don't feel like I've done what I needed to do in high school. And I said, okay. And he goes, well, I talked to Coach Bates and Chavis and, and Venables, and they all said great things. He goes, but the one thing that stood out to me through this whole visit outside of me seeing what I need to see and them laying out everything that I needed to see and they promised they were going to do, that they stuck with that, was the fact that Coach Bates said, look, man, if you want to lead, lead with love. And he goes, I'm going back tomorrow, and I'm leading with love, the same type of love that they showed me at Oklahoma. I said, oh, that's kind of a cool deal. And I said, so where do things stand? And he goes, I'm starting over from scratch with my recruitment. This next week is all scratch. I'm going to sit there and listen to everybody, and I'm going to make a decision. But Oklahoma gave me a lot to think about, more than enough to think about, and they've made this decision harder than I ever dreamed it was going to be. So do I still think Oklahoma – Or do I still think Alabama is going to be the pick? I don't know. Like, I was adamant and sure of that before the official visit, and I don't know now. I just don't know. I'm supposed to talk to him on Friday. Hopefully, I'll be able to do that. And if I can do that, we'll know exactly where things stand with him, and we'll have a better understanding of where his head is at heading into his decision on Monday, September 19th. When he is set to announce, so we'll see there. Uh, this thing has gotten a lot. Of, I, I people still think it's going to be Alabama because Alabama still feels feels really good about it. But when I spoke to a source yesterday around Norman, they still they they were like, "Oh man, no, we feel pretty good about where things stand right now." So we'll see. This is this this is going to be one of those deals where Parker and I have not switched our crystal balls because we learned the Anthony Evans and Colton Vastic way that you don't discount the staff at Oklahoma now. This isn't previous regimes. This new regime, they win battles against SEC because that's what they know. They know how to recruit that region. They know how to recruit up against those type of teams because that's what they did at Clemson for a decade. So we'll see. We'll have more of that on OU Insider as we get more information on that recruitment. But things are kind of back and forth right now. Um, don't get your hopes up yet, though, sooner fans. Do not get your hopes up yet because Alabama's still Alabama. So you can't ever forget that. Uh, Colton Vasek real quickly Nothing to worry about I talked to him I know there's people out there that say sources say that They didn't know Or uh, sources say that he was with family No, I got complete quotes from Vasek Really? I,
0: I, I heard he was flipping to Texas
1: Yeah, well, that's what I hear That's what people say He says otherwise He was adamant about it he said, the only trips I'm taking from this point on are to Oklahoma. He's going to – he's working to be at the K-State game, 7 p.m. kickoff. He is going to be at the OU-Texas game, and he's working to get to the OU-Kansas game. So the next month he might be in Oklahoma three times or at an Oklahoma game three times. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but regardless, he said, look, I FaceTime Coach, Coach Javis. He told me it was a one-time deal. It's good to go. There's other people uh, that, you know, some people think that Oklahoma didn't know, whatever. That's not what I've heard. That's not what I've been told by multiple people. Oklahoma sources around Norman inside those offices basically said one time off deal, best game, biggest game, maybe in college football this year in his own backyard. His family or season ticket holders, dad, mom and dad wanted to use his season tickets. Texas offered him three other tickets. He took two of his teammates down there so they could experience it as well. Go do it. This better be the only time it happens. And he swore that's what it's going to do. And he swore he wants to get out of Austin and see things differently. He thinks Venables is the best defensive of in college football. He sees the stats. He sees the sacks that Ethan Downs and uh, Reggie Grimes have already had from the edge position in two games. And he's locked in. He says so deep breaths right now, Oklahoma, obviously we'll follow this, but it seems everything's a okay with Colton Vasek. Uh, David Hicks uh, talked to his dad yesterday. He's going to visit for Oklahoma for, excuse me, for A&M and Miami, but they're also coming to the Oklahoma Kansas state game. He says on the 24th, uh, originally he wasn't going to visit Miami, a game, he was going to stay home, go to the homecoming, but he doesn't have a date now. I don't know what's going on there. It's none of my business, but uh, with no date, he decided, I want to go to a college football game, Dad. That one's right down the road. Oklahoma's playing at Nebraska. Let's go. So they're going to go do that. Uh, I still like where Oklahoma stands here. They're going to be at the Oklahoma-Texas game as well. So two of the next three weeks – they will be in Norman and potentially be at the OU Kansas game as well. Look, he may take an official visit either for official visit either for Kansas State or the Kansas game. I don't think Bedlam's going to be it right now according to his dad because playoffs they normally play games on a Saturday which would just completely screw over the whole official visit for Bedlam if they win and make it to the second round of the playoffs. And that's what they're hoping to do. So they want to schedule it, get it over with. Plus he's going to potentially announce in early October. And if that's the case, you really like where Oklahoma stands because they've been the leader up until this point. Of course he visited Texas a last week. This week again, last week was a spur of the moment. His teammate had tickets. They went this week. Uh, he, and he still went to his brother's games, by the way, which is originally why he stayed and didn't visit Oklahoma, because he couldn't make the trip back and forth and go to his brother's Little League games. It was opening day for the Little League. This week, obviously, wants to go with his dad. They're going to hang out. But when I talk to sources, everybody still thinks Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. A&M has just got so far to go, and if Oklahoma, A&M loses this weekend, you might as well go ahead and put a bow on it, in my opinion. I really think that's that's the case.
0: How about put a Bowen on it?
1: Oh, how about you put a Bowen on it? Oh, speaking of, you and I both can talk about Peyton Bowen. I'll start real quickly. Uh, expect him to come back for a game here in the next few weeks. I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to say exactly when. Um, and I'm not sure he's going to visit a this weekend. So that was originally the plan. He is not on the list a AM, I'm actually going to text him and call him uh, later today and talk to some people. but uh, yeah, the, this uh, I, I don't I don't know what the deal is there. I don't know if he's gonna make it up or not. So anyways, I, I think I like where they stand because his brother loves Oklahoma. They want to play together. Obviously he's still committed to Notre Dame, has a visit set up for Clemson Game later on. But I think he has a decision made one way or the other before the Clemson game happens. And I even spoke to a source that is neutral, that is well indoctrinated on both sides of, of the recruitment and knows what both teams are thinking. And he said, I feel like this thing's going to flip at some point. It's who. To who is the question. Is it A&M? Is it Oklahoma? I'll give the edge to Oklahoma right now. I just I'm going to give the edge because he keeps showing back up to Norman. His girlfriend is going to play soccer. For Oklahoma next year, his best friend is going to be a quarterback for Oklahoma, uh, and his best friend's girlfriend's going to Oklahoma as well. So there is a lot of things working, and there's another potential teammate that could flip and flip in Ryan Yates. Uh, he'll be at LSU this weekend, but I mean, if LSU was to lose to Ole Miss, who knows what happens? Because uh, he's supposed to be back in Norman in a few weeks as well, potentially, potentially. So what's your what's your gauge on Bowen?
0: I mean, I think you have to like where OU sits right now in that recruitment, and I think it's all the more encouraging if he doesn't end up visiting A&M this weekend because, I mean, that gives you the indication, and it doesn't necessarily confirm this, but it does give you the indication that OU is in the best spot to flip. And I've said from the get-go, right, I don't think he sticks with Notre Dame. And if I'm standing by that and... You're looking at the situation and saying, okay, he's not going to A&M this weekend. Then who does that leave, man? That leaves Oklahoma. And in the end, there's so much tying him to Norman, whether that's his brother's affinity for the Sooners or the presence of Jackson Arnold or the relationship with Brandon Hall, what becomes of the Ryan Yates recruitment. Uh, much the way I don't foresee Bowen sticking with Notre Dame, it's hard to foresee Yates sticking with LSU. And so there's a, I, I I've said for a long time, I think go you at the very least goes one for two with the Geyer boys mm-hmm. now. And that's referring of course, to Peyton Bowen and Ryan. Yates. Now there's a good chance they could sweep. And that's been the, uh, that's been the optimist's dream for a few months now. And it seems as though the timeline has been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back even further. Uh, so at this point, it's it's tough to say for certain when we get a resolution, but OU pe- appears to be as well positioned as they have been in quite some time for these two.
1: Right. No, I... <sighs> if the visits down the road potentially between now and October 1st happen, I'll just lay it out. I'll just lay it out and let the fans decipher how that could work Um, like they planned happen and and, and it it takes place. Plus, they are both expected at the OU Texas game on October 8th. If all that takes place, I think it's going to be pretty hard to see them not in an Oklahoma uniform at some point. You can't keep showing up to Norman and visit them 12 times and not visit anybody else really, and it not be all the visits, right? Like that just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense at all. All right, closing this out now, uh, let's talk about one Caden McDonald, four-star defensive lineman out of Georgia, Clemson Lane right now, folks, Clemson Lane. Visited Michigan last week, visiting Ohio State on the 24th, will be in Oklahoma on October 15th. Literally a week before he decides, if I remember correctly, like he's going to decide, or 10 days or so, a week, 10 days before his decision. He wants to have it done before October's over with. And so Oklahoma is going to get the last crack, it sounds like, before his decision's made. Unless he visits, takes that November 5th visit to AM, and which when I was talking to him, he did not sound like he was 100% thrilled about taking the visit to AM or not. Like, I just didn't get the A&M vibe, I guess is a better way to put it. So we'll see. Uh, obviously, A&M, their staff, their defensive line coach, does a fantastic job. One of the better recruiters in all of high college football. So I don't know. We'll see. We do know he's going to be visiting on October 15th to Oklahoma. He's very close with one Derek LeBlanc, Oklahoma's four-star defensive line commit. They've been on conference calls, saw both of them, with D.J. Hicks, five-star defensive lineman, out of Katie Paytal, who's leaning towards Oklahoma. I don't know how all that works out and whatnot, but it does sound like things are starting to trend a little better for Caden McDonald and Oklahoma. I honestly wouldn't be shocked. The one thing that's holding Oklahoma back, if Oklahoma was in Clemson, Clemson position, he would already be committed to Oklahoma. With all the connections this guy has his five different connections.
0: And you're talking about but, in terms of geography there.
1: Yes. Yes. If, if Oklahoma was
0: as close to Atlanta as Clemson is.
1: Yes. They're an hour and 15 minutes away. And Oklahoma's a two-hour flight. So this guy's a mom is boy. Like he and not in a bad term, like he loves his mom. And she's been there for him his whole life. His brother plays at Troy. It's just a close-knit family and him wanting to stay close. If they can pull him away and get him to feel comfortable being around Derek LeBlanc, being around DJ Hicks, being around Colton Vasick, PJ Adebarre, Caden Green, Jackson Arnold. Although, Look, Jackson Arnold and him know each other. They've played on the same Little League team in Georgia because that's where Jackson's from. They grew up around each other for the first – several years of their lives and played together for three years. So they know each other. Well, if he can feel comfortable about that situation, the fact that his, him and Trey Morrison grew up together, the fact that uh, his grandma lives three hours from Norman, the fact that, Oh, I'm trying to think who else, like what was some of the other connections that he had? Uh, his mom grew up there. Uh, Ted roof uh obviously jackson arnold drew hill like there's so many connections to oklahoma that he should feel comfortable and i think they're trying to get him back around that and be like look man you remember how you loved oklahoma and oklahoma was your leader for a long time in the spring you can get back to that because when you come out here you're going to see why you're going to remember why and so that's what oklahoma is hoping and pushing for we'll see how all that plays out finally to Khanna, parker you go first on that, and if I have anything to add, I'll add. If not, then we'll just close this thing out.
0: Yeah, well, obviously, he took his official visit to Texas this past weekend, uh, but I think we we had long known that an official visit to Texas was probably going to take place, and that was probably going to have more to do with the fact that his sister plays volleyball at Texas than the fact that or the belief that Ticeli Kana was actually heavily considering Texas. I don't think that's the case right now. I don't get that sense. Uh, in talking to sources that know that recruitment, uh, I, I would say the three teams that you got to be most worried about, if you're an Oklahoma fan, are Oregon, Texas A&M, and Tennessee. But again, I will I will continually go back to one of the very first things I was told about Tecilia to Cona once it became clear that Oklahoma was emerging as a top contender. Uh, I was told, and if this isn't word for word, it's a very, very close paraphrase. Tassili Akana is Brent Venables' guy, and Brent Venables always gets his guy. So that recruitment is a BV special right now. He's going to take the official visit on October 15th, and I think you have to like where Oklahoma sits as of right now. It's going to be a bit of a quieter recruitment. That's just the way Akana is. He's not going to do a whole lot of interviews. Uh, There's going to be an element of the mysterious, and it's going to be shrouded in uh, a layer of uncertainty to a certain extent. But once the official visit tour is over, and he's planning on taking at least four, potentially all five, I think Oklahoma is going to be hard to deny is the way I see it, especially not just with Venables recruiting him, but with the Sooners group of commits peer recruiting him as well. That's going to come into play. It will.
1: Hmm. No, I think you nailed all of it, man. So, uh, as long as Brent Venables is in charge of this, I think you got to like where Oklahoma stand. Uh, His mom and his uh, sister, I believe, visited this past summer. Tisili Conant did not. His dad This will be his first time to come up on an official visit with him to Oklahoma. They were there with the previous staff, now getting to know the new staff. If Dad signs off on it, you kind of like where Oklahoma stands, and you continue to hear Oklahoma buzz behind all this stuff. So anyways, all right, that's going to do it for this version of the OU Insider under the Visor Sooners podcast. If you're not signed up on OU Insider VIP, you should, because everybody else is doing it. And we can't thank you guys enough because we keep growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and we're growing at a rate that we've never done before. And it's all thanks to you all. You Oklahoma fans have done this for us. You guys have made us one of the largest 24 seven sites that there is. And we feel blessed to be able to do that for y'all each and every week. And we hope that you guys continue to like what's going on with Oklahoma football and uh, continue to follow us on OU Insider VIP. So right now it's 30% off. $75 will get you one year all the way through both national signing days, all through spring football, all the junior days during the winter, all the official visits during the summer, all the champion barbecue, all party in the palace, all fall camp, and the first few weeks of next year's season before you sign up again. So if you want to do that right now, $75 for a full year, or you can go month to month. You can give us a try. $1 for the first month. Literally $1. $1 for the first month, $9.95 afterwards. We'd love to have you sign up for a whole year. Make sure that you guys are a part of us through all the recruiting stuff because recruiting never stops. The info never stops. We are the one site you will get multiple information each and every day from what's going on with Oklahoma. Uh, and we take pride in that. We're there covering it. We're there at all the games. We're there at all the post practices. Like we're physically there, physically there. You can, there's people that aren't that cover Oklahoma, but we're physically there. So, um, yeah, I mean, we take pride in doing everything that we do and we do it for you all each and every day, uh, and, and love doing it and we're blessed to be able to do it. Uh, the, the, all the records that we've broken each and every month, all the, the notes that Parker's put up, that I put up, the, the quotes and front page stuff that Joey puts up, all that type of stuff, uh, we hope you guys like because it's done for you all, it's done because of you all, and without you all, it doesn't exist. So thank you guys so much for being on OU Insider VIP. And if you're not, we hope to see you guys there. Remember, $75 gets you a whole year. And it gets you all 250 sites on 24-7 sports. I mean, you can go visit USC and see what Mule Shoes doing. You can go to Texas, Texas A&M, Nebraska, Alabama, Clemson, Florida. It doesn't matter. You can go visit whoever and check it out and see what's going on. With all the teams that you love or all what's going on, be the most knowledgeable college football fan there is, walking the face of the earth and be the be the cool guy at the water cooler uh, at, at work or cool cool girl. Doesn't matter. Male or female, doesn't matter. We love to have you guys on there. All right, that's gonna do it for this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. For Parker Thune, my name is Brandon Drum. You guys have a blessed day.